is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. voice not just sound heavenly right there what was that my voice sounded super heavenly right there guys we are back on let your voice be heard on 90.3 fm whcr the voice of harlem guys did you miss us we were gone for a whole week Alyssa, tell me my voice is beautiful oh it's so lovely stanley <laughs> i do like your shirt better though thank you thank you very much in honor of barack j kwan hussein obama and and biggie yes the former black dictator and also the former <laughs> rapper we well, I am actually wearing a shirt in honor of both of them. And if you are on Facebook Live or on Ustream, you can see the shirt, even though I can't see it on the screen because our Ustream Facebook Live screen has a box in front of it. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but anyways, guys, we are back for another action-packed week of Let Your Voice Be Heard. This is Stanley Fritz, your favorite engineer slash host slash Donald Trump hater. And you can find me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can find me on Instagram at Stan Fritz. You can find me on Facebook at Stanley Fritz and on Snapchat where I actually snapped last night you can find me at dark skin swindle and i'm here with my ace boom coon my brother from another mother even though she's a sister <laughs> how are you um this is, <laughs> I was like, and good morning uh so my name is Alyssa fuchs i am your political and legal correspondent here on let your voice be heard radio 
<laughs> also ranter in chief, I guess. Um, oh, I like that for you. The yeah, ranter in chief. Ranter in chief. I like that. That's a new one. Um, so you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs, and that's Alyssa with an I, I L Y S S A F U C H S, or on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs, where I deflect trolls with my troll deflecting powers. Um, <laughs> or you can leave a comment on the Politically Preposterous fan page, which is a great place to leave a comment. Lots of people come and leave comments comments there um so you know we definitely look forward to them and this is let your voice be heard radio so we of course want to hear what you have to say so you can always tweet at us at be heard underscore radio yep. or you can call us up at 212-650-6903 um, and you can leave a comment on politically preposterous or on our webpage or on our instagram and we will hopefully get to some of these comments and read them on the radio and we have a really good show for you planned today yes we do so guys we're going to action-packed show. When I say action-packed, I'm not just saying that because I can't think of another word. So today we are talking about the Muslim ban. That is right. Donald Trump said he was going to ban Muslims from this country, and then he signed an executive order that would slow down the, um, the slow down on um, people from Darn it, I'm butchering already. So that you want to help from me seven that? countries. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we'll get into more detail, but essentially, yes, it blocked people coming into the country. People who had already been vetted and, in most cases, had received legal status from coming into the country. That, of course, has now been held up by the courts, and we don't exactly know what's going to happen next. But we're going to delve into the details of that with a great guest later on in the show. Um, we're also going to be talking, even la- even later on than that, um, we're going to be talking about the new Supreme Court nominee. Yes, Neil Gorsuch. And he also has a book about the right to suicide. He is Donald Trump's um, Supreme Court pick. We'll be telling you what we know about him. We'll be telling you the process of him being picked. And what I mean by that, the day that Trump was going to make his choice and the nonsense he pulled so that it, there could be more drama around there. We'll also be talking about how we think he will vote and whether the Democratic Party should be voting in favor of him to be confirmed even though the Republicans did everything they could to stop Merrick Garland from being confirmed and obviously the Republicans won that battle because Merrick Garland has not been confirmed and just just when you thought you couldn't hear enough, Alyssa's got a lick quickie for you, Alyssa. Yes, yeah, so um, there was uh, an executive order which actually hasn't come out yet, but a draft copy of it actually leaked earlier this week. And it is a religious freedom executive order, and it purports to discriminate against LGBT people and women, and uh, it does this in a variety of different ways. I'll make clear from the beginning here and now that it has not actually been released yet, it has not been signed yet, but it is what we can expect or what we may expect coming from the Trump administration down the road in terms of religious freedom and religious liberty. And I find this really interesting when you compare it and contrast it to the Muslim ban, because this executive order would very broadly define religion and religious beliefs and allow for sweeping exemptions uh, when somebody says that something violates their religious beliefs, um, but it seems though it's aimed at Christians, when in reality it will involve all religions, which means that essentially it sort of contradicts some of the other things that are coming out of the Trump White House about the Muslim religion, Um, and that in and of itself is very hypocritical and very perplexing. Well, I mean, this is the way that things are going to be running for the time being. I, we, we can't really change that. There are so many things that Donald Trump has done this week. And, guys, I know we don't want to make this the Donald, the Donald Trump show for the next two and a half to four years. However, we do have a new segment, which we call This Week in Give Trump a Chance, where we pick at least one thing that he's done this week 
and we just talk about it very briefly during the news roundup. If you have something that Trump has done and you want to bring it up, you can always call us during the news roundup, which happens from 12 to 12. 15 and the number obviously is 212-650-6903 again that is 212-650-6903 but guys we got to go on a quick break when we come back we'll be talking about the muslim ban and our guest for that conversation is mother loving lit by the way the best shirt the best song from migos album is not bad and bougie it's kelly price thank you later we are back on let your voice be heard on 90.3 fm whcr the voice of harlem if you are just tuning in we just started the show so you didn't really miss much of anything but we are getting ready to start talking about the muslim ban am i talking about a muslim ban i'm talking about a muslim ban when donald trump said if you can make a chopped cheese sandwich if you practice the religion of islam if you are a human being who is not white then he doesn't want you in the country and he had all of us leave i'm actually calling from canada right now and selena who knows more about this topic is going to tell us all about it because she thinks that i'm wrong <laughs> Not, I mean, the chopped cheese part may have been a little offensive. I'll say oh, that. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. But besides that, I think sorry, everything uh, else is pretty accurate. I just um, like chopped cheese. Don't. Right. So, hey, guys. It's me, Selena Hill. I'm here with Sammy Fritz, Alyssa Fuchs. And, yeah, it's only been two weeks, and yet Donald Trump has managed to cause an uproar of chaos in Washington while inciting millions of people around the world, mind you, to protest against the discriminatory actions taken by his administration. So it kind of feels like we're watching an episode of SNL or South Park or maybe reading a really good article editorial on the onion but instead our democracy is really being driven into the ground by a fascist like leader right before our eyes and instead of being funny it's scary now, although Donald Trump has managed to pass a wave of controversial executive orders during his first two weeks in office, it seems like the one that's prompted the most backlash across the world is the Muslim travel ban that both Stanley and Alyssa have been talking about since the beginning of the show. So on Friday, January 27th, well, I'm going to take you guys back. We're going to walk it back first, and then we'll figure out where we are now because it pretty much has been a state of confusion. We're in hell. Yes, but I want, so starting January 27th, right, that's when Donald Trump signed this executive order that bans travelers from Iraq, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen from entering the U.S. for 90 days. It also banned refugee emissions for 120 days, and under the order, Syrian refugees are banned indefinitely. Now, the list, uh, it actually includes none of the countries from which the 9-11 hijackers originated from, um, despite the fact that Donald Trump is supposedly trying to protect us from another 9-11 from occurring. Um, the language in this executive order was so broad that it affected people with green cards, people who already had visas, people who have already been 
thoroughly vetted, even for two to three years, they were banned from entering the country. People who were just, you know, going overseas for research, like scientists, they were banned from coming back to the country, even though their families are here. Their work is here. Important work. I mean, if you're a scientist, like there was one scientist who was, I think, working on a cure for, like, tuberculosis, and they got banned. I'm like, what? We don't need a cure for that. Right, like, according to um, Donald Trump. So... Last weekend, when this ban happened, it resulted in travelers and legal residents uh, from around the country being uh, detained in a number of airports. And that's why we saw all of these airport protests um, in places like JFK and LAX, Chicago, Boston, etc. Now, Donald Trump actually responded to this by tweeting the coverage of him in the New York Times and the Washington Post was quote unquote fake news. So that's how he was responding to all of this backlash. Now, this was so this happened mm, over a little over a week ago, right? Now, the de- just yesterday, the Department of Homeland Security announced it has suspended all actions to implement the impl- uh, immigration order and that they will continue to resume standard inspections of travelers as they did before the travel ban. So basically, they're operating as if this travel ban never existed. Cue the chaos. Um, and that pretty much leaves us where we are now. And now, and FYI, let me just add that the State Department has said that there's been fewer, fewer than 60,000 visas which were revoked since the signing of the order. But it's not um, clear how many from that group will, be, con- will continue to be without their visas because some of those visas were physically canceled. But if you do have a visa and it was electronically canceled, from my understanding, you may be able to uh, continue procedures and travel. So... That was the past eight days. Um, wow. <laughs> it's been a lot, right? Ugh. A lot is an understatement. It is. It's, 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 been, it's been hell. And we have a very special guest on the line who will join our conversation, help us talk about this conversation, help us talk about this topic. Her name is Jasmine Bagger Cruz. She is a New York City-based full-time freelance journalist from Saudi Arabia. She is actually one of the first Saudis to graduate from Columbia J School. Columbia um, Journalism School, and for the last few years, she's been writing about the arts as well as feminism and Islam. Her work has been featured in places like Time Magazine, the BBC, and the Middle East Eye. Good morning, Jasmine. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us here. I know Stanley was tweeting at you, and we managed to get you on the show, so we're really excited about that. Jasmine and I are Twitter best friends now. Really? Yes, Yes, we are. And you forgot about the New Republic because that's in her bio, boo-boo. Get it together, okay, (laughs) Selena? Oh, my fault. I forgot that Jasmine also writes for the New Republic. So, Jasmine, um, you know, I I took things back to January 27th, which wasn't, wasn't that far, wasn't that long ago, but... But so much has happened between then and now. It's like, it seems like that could have been a year ago. What was your initial reaction on January 27th when you found out about this immigration ban, especially being a a Muslim woman? Um, I'll be honest. Um, When it happened, I was traumatized. And um, I just really panicking internally. But I was so overwhelmed, like the overwhelming kind of, 
flood in, on Twitter was so reassuring. People from all walks of life, people from every type of religion, people who don't have a religion, were stepping up, going to the airports, uh, protesting, carrying pizzas, and you know, just really being good humans to try to help those of us who are affected feel like we're part of the country. Wow. I mean, I, I can only imagine. I mean, the fact that you just said, like, to feel like you're part of the country when you are. I mean, you know, we're all Americans here. But yeah. I, I can only imagine how isolated um, you feel, especially with the rise of Islamophobia that's been going on for the last 10 years. I, I mean, this pretty much seems like needs to be like the icing on the cake. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. Even when I go out and meet my friends and we, we speak in Arabic in public, we always have to center ourselves, and at some point we just look at each other and we're like, we start speaking in English because we're worried those around us will feel threatened by us by speaking a language that they can't understand. Um, we've seen people on flights getting kicked out of flights because of speaking in Arabic, so um, Arabic is really a be- beautiful language, and I don't think we should be afraid of it because we don't understand it. So, hey, Jasmine Stanley. Quick- hey. Quick question. Um, one of the things that I've really been frustrated with is the media's, in my opinion, lack of strong response to Trump's behavior. And and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like the most aggressive the media ever is with Trump is when he comes out to them. How do you think they've been with this Muslim ban? And how have you been able to traffic through this as someone who's a journalist and has to write about these topics? Yeah, it's it's difficult. I think we're, we're all wrestling with the ethical kind of... Uh, kind of issues when it comes to this. Um, just like uh, Selena mentioned earlier, this is a play, you know, this is unfolding. It's live. It's, you know, if you refresh your computer, new things will come up. Um, so much has happened over the last week that, um, you know, just last night um, or this weekend, um, so much has changed uh, with the federal judge um, kind of changing everything and Trump going on Twitter and having like a bit of a tantrum um, when it comes to that. So uh, it, it, it's difficult. Um, I haven't written any pieces about this yet, um, but it, it'll probably happen if it keeps on going. Something that I'd like to point out is that um, the U.S. Census actually categorizes people from Europe, the Middle East, and North Africa as white. So federally, you're white if you are from the Middle East or North Africa or Europe, which is crazy because a lot of people don't really associate Middle Eastern people as white. So essentially these people that are being kind of pushed aside are categorized as white. Wait, if um, you have the white to power, the US census. If you guys right? have the white card, start using it. Eat Gouda cheese, eat drink from Starbucks. <laughs> start, you start using it. Yeah, I, go, I guess cr- so. Cross the street when black people come by. You need to like unlock those powers. <laughs> I mean, um, the, well the judge, the Seattle judge that um, kind of changed everything, um, he has famously gone on the bench and said, you know, black lives matter, although he is considered not to be very political. Um, the thing is that there is so much confusion happening, like you were mentioning earlier, and people are just really trying to understand where they stand, what they can do, um, kind of, when it comes to this. Uh, how can the country survive? Is the American dream dead? Right. Um, you, you know what, Jasmine, you, you mentioned something 
um, that I had talked about. Like, we're in a state of confusion because a lot is going on. And I actually wanted to talk about um, the state we're in with the Mus- concerning the Muslim ban. It seems like certain, well, we know that a federal judge has um, put a temporary stay on that. And we have Alyssa here. Of course, she's our resident legal expert. So, Alyssa, what exactly is going on? All right. So, there's a few different things going on, right? So, the first thing that really happened was last weekend, the order goes into effect. I believe that's on Saturday. By Sunday, you already had a federal judge here in the Eastern District of New York, um, Judge Ann Donnelly, issue an order temporarily staying at least part of the ban, essentially saying that it was likely that the government was going to lose on the merits of the case because there was uh, constitutional implications. Of course, what she means by that is there's implications having to do with the First Amendment um, and religious freedom uh, rights at stake, and therefore they were going to temporarily put a hold, at least on the ban. Now, that only applied in certain places because of the way that issue, that ruling was issued. At the same time, you also had parallel rulings coming out of a court in Texas and also um, another court in Boston also issued a ruling on this. The thing about those specific orders was that they did not cover the entire country nationally. None of them were as broad to say, this stays the entire executive order nationally. So what happened this week, essentially, is that another challenge was brought um, in a federal court in Washington, and it was heard in front of Judge Robart. Um, Now, Judge Robart, something you should know about him is he is a federal district court judge in Seattle. He is a Republican. He's a conservative. He was actually appointed by George W. Bush, so he's not a liberal. He's not, um, you know, an Obama appointee. Uh, He's considered to be very smart and very even-tempered, and the most important thing you should really know about him is he really believes in the independence of the judiciary, to be a check and a balance on the other branches of government, in this case, namely the federal executive branch of government or the president, right? And so he's looking at this executive order. Now, he issued an order um, yesterday, I believe it was, um, that essentially said that the entire ban is stayed pending further action. Thereafter, the president started tweeting, lambasting this judge, calling him a so-called judge, which, by the way, I just figured out what to call him, the so-called president. Um, <laughs> but anyways, to me... You know, that sort of and and so the other thing that happened from a more legal perspective is the Justice Department is now appealing that ruling. And that's really the course of action that the Justice Department should I'm not saying I agree with it, but should be taking if they don't like the ruling. And what shouldn't be happening is Donald Trump tweeting about how he doesn't like the ruling. All Donald Trump needed to say was something that presidents say all the time. I disagree with the ruling of this judge. I have directed the Justice Department to appeal the judge's ruling to a higher court. You've heard Obama say that many times. I disagree with this federal court. I disagree with this judge's ruling. I've directed the Justice Department to appeal this ruling. But Obama never attacked the judge personally. I've never called the judge a so-called judge or attacked the independence of the judiciary. It's one thing to say, we're going to appeal this ruling and to actually go through with it, which is what the Justice Department is doing. It is another to spend all day on Twitter going after a judge because you don't like the ruling to begin with. Right, no, Alyssa, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, Donald Trump is not, he, we knew he wasn't going to be presidential because that's how he was on the campaign trail, and he's the exact same person. Like, you would think he would start to get acclimated to the position. <laughs> he's not. And, you know, on top of the fact that he's, like, lambasting this federal judge, he's also telling the press not to call this travel, the Muslim ban, a Muslim ban, and to call it, a, I guess, a travel ban, even though, like, Rudy, 
Rudy Giuliani and some of his other people from like his Sean from his teams, Sean Spicer, they all called it a Muslim ban. Trump. Well, yeah, and then he keeps back and forth. But here's the interesting thing about that, which is, on one hand, people have been like, Donald, stop tweeting. You're not helping yourself, right? But from a legal perspective, every time he tweets and he puts something out, that's something that if I'm a lawyer challenging that ban in court, I'm going to go print out all of his tweets from Twitter and all of the things that Giuliani has said and all of the things that Sean Spicer said. And I'm going to attempt to introduce those things as evidence as to what this really is. And I'm going to say, look, this isn't just a travel ban. This is a ban that has to do with religion. And to get a little more into detail about that and, you know, uh, you know, maybe we're going to go into this a little more in detail, which is, you know, this travel ban doesn't even ban people from from the certain countries. And I'm not saying it should, but where terrorist attacks actually came from. Right. For example, our guest is from Saudi Arabia. You mentioned that Saudi Arabia isn't on the list of banned countries. Meanwhile, something. What is it? Nine out of ten of the people who are involved in 9-11 came from Saudi Arabia and Trump does business there. It doesn't ban so, white people either. Right. And so there exactly. And it also has exemptions for Christians that are coming in from yeah. Some of these countries that it bans Muslims. So it's clear to me that this has to do with religion, not has to do with countries where people are traveling from. And I would love to get our guest's opinion on that as well. Yeah, so Jasmine, um, do you think this has more so to do with religion or with necessarily by protecting people in uh, the United States? Well, I mean, like what's like what in the news, um, those, those who come from the seven kind of banned countries, listed banned countries, haven't done any kind of terrorist. Uh, kind of attacks on U.S. soil. Um, I actually have a problem with people throwing Saudi, Saudi Arabia under the bus when it comes to this. The citizens really are blameless when it comes to this. A lot of the people really don't have a say. In fact, if you really um, look at what the Arab countries have been issuing, like statements and such, a lot of these countries are kind of cautiously silent, um, as are the citizens. People are afraid. Um, we have been dealing with a lot of discrimination after 9-11, uh, I really don't think we need to have more kind of stigma attached to us. Um, people from Saudi, we, we are already, you know, a lot of us are just quiet citizens trying to just go, get, move on with life. Um, some, those of us who are in the U.S., we're trying to just, you know, do what we can to contribute to the country, just be good citizens and be good residents. Uh, I don't know if the right call is to kind of, put another country and say, like, oh, you should look at this country instead. I think that we really need to be careful and cautious when it comes to this. Um, a lot of the Arab countries haven't issued statements. Um, Iran has issued a statement officially, and uh, they've said that, you know, anyone who comes from the U.S. is not allowed now in, into Iran. Um, Saudi and Iran also have some conflicts. Um, last year, also, citizens of Saudi were not allowed to go into Iran, and Iran is also not allowing Saudi citizens to enter the country. So there's a lot of weird things happening. Uh, I don't know if this is the best way to go about it. Um, I think we just need to kind of calm down and really pay attention and listen to what's going on. Um, yeah. Jasmine, we all here agree with you in the studio. We do have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. And if you're listening, we're going to come back and continue to talk about this explosive Muslim ban and the backlash right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Let your booty do that yoga. Body 
We are back on Let's Your Voice. We heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz here with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs. And we also have a very special guest on the line by the name of Jasmine. We will call her Juicy J moving forward. And we are talking about the Muslim ban in the United States of America done by so-called President Mr. Cheeto Open Condom Face. And Selena is running the segment, so I will let her pull it along. Right. Yes. So we have Jasmine Bagger Cruz on the line. She is a freelance journalist originally from Saudi Arabia. She works here in New York City. Um, You can read some of her publications at Time and the the New Republic as well as the BBC. So, you know, we've been talking to Jasmine, you know, as as a Muslim woman, as a journalist, somebody who's actively reporting and, and covering this issue. And the thing, the question that it leads to now is how effective will this and can this be? Now, we spoke about this last week when we had a veteran on the line with us and, you know, according to him and a number of, you know, statistics and a number of other uh, experts, when you have a, a Muslim ban, all this is doing is sort of emboldening, emboldening um, ISIS and other radicals to use this as a recruitment tool. Um, and ISIS is using this and saying, like, you see, the U.S. is shunning Muslims Muslims, you should join us. Can I just add one more piece into that? Because I don't want to just have it framed around like ISIS being able to radicalize people. It's the, our country is literally going there, bombing their country, setting the house on fire, then locking the door and telling them to stay in there. Right. No, that's a that's a great way to put it. Right. And the other part of that is that ISIS wants, and really we should call them Daesh, if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, I'm sure. Um, but Ooh, they, fancy, yeah, Alyssa. But they, because it's sort of insulting to them to, to call them that instead of what they want to be called. But nonetheless, they are framing their caliphate and their mission in terms of the West is at war with Muslims, right? And so when you have a travel ban like this, which essentially is not about certain countries as much as it really is about Muslims. It lets them go back to the people that they are attempting to radicalize and people that they already have radicalized and say, look, look, the West is trying to get into a war with us. The West, the West does want to eradicate all of us. The West is at war with all Muslims. Come join us, this and that. And so that, that in terms helps them. And lots and lots of um, people have said that. I mean, more than 900 U.S. State Department employees have actually signed onto a dissent cable claiming that the ban would not only not improve national security, but would also potentially embolden ISIS and embolden their recruiting efforts. In addition, in a recent poll carried out, um, and this is not about whether or not Americans support the ban, because I know that poll is basically 50-50, but they had a recent poll that was carried out just a few days ago uh, by Reuters between January 30th and January 31st, and that found that just 31% of Americans felt more safe due to the ban, which means 70% of Americans do not think that the ban really makes them any safer. Uh, Uh, They don't want brown people in that country because they're racist. I mean, from the mouths of Trump supporters, they have been saying Trump is just doing this to keep our country safe. I I, I mean, that's That's, what they're saying. That's that's called dog whistle because the real problem is that brown people, the same reason they want to put a wall on Mexico, even though immigration in America from Mexico is net zero. It's about racism. Because, you know, and here's the numbers to back that up. Since 2001, only 12 refugees have ever been charged with um, committing a terrorist attack. Do you know how many U.S. citizens, U.S. citizens born here in the U.S. have been charged with the same crimes over the same period? 
Over 200. Over 200 American citizens. Not refugees, not foreigners, not people coming in from other countries. 200 compared to 12. Well, that's where the focus should be. I I definitely want to get Jasmine's personal feelings on this matter because, I mean, according to the facts, it just doesn't make sense to put so much effort and resources towards banning people, immigrants, from coming to this country when we have, domestically, we have uh, more issues when it comes to terror. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Trump actually tweeted uh, about uh, the attack in Paris uh, over the weekend, but he didn't say anything about the attack in Canada and the mosque, which killed six people. So there is definitely something going on in terms of him just being anti-Muslim in many ways. Um, It is a confusing time. People are just trying to understand and process. People from Muslim countries, okay, let's Let's take a step back for a second. The definition of a refugee is someone who escaped dire circumstances. They didn't voluntarily leave their countries. They had to leave because of war, persecution, natural natural disaster. Um, So these are people who have been vetted for many years. They've been going through this this giant kind of... uh, Sorry about the noise. Um, They've been going through all kinds of different... uh, They've had to really sacrifice everything to come to this country, and a lot of them just want to work hard. They just really want to escape the situation that they're in, and it seems more and more that the U.S. is heading in the direction of the country that these people are leaving, um, which is very disheartening because we live in a global world now, and everything is connected, and to do this America First thing really kind of changes everything, and like like you were mentioning, um, the wall over Mexico, I mean, I'm sorry, but there are other ways they can go in through florida or some other you know the wall that he wants to, cre- to create blocking mexico i mean i'm sorry there's like you can go- take a boat you can you know you can fly through different routes like it's not gonna it's, it's not gonna stop anything um the mexican president actually has said if you're gonna build a wall we'll build a ladder you know <laughs> there are ways to like go through it i mean i, I really don't understand um why he's really focusing on these types of things because it won't solve the problem of the homegrown terrorists. Right. You know what, Jasmine, it just seems like he's feeding his base. I mean, he made these campaign, he made these promises on the campaign trail. That's what's got him elected when it comes to the, the, when it comes to racist, when it comes to the alt-right. And now he's just following through, if you ask me. Donald Trump is supporting the clan of ignorant racists and tone-deaf black people who forgot that they were black and think that if they kiss up to white people, it'll make their lives better. Your lives will not be better, black people who do that. You're idiots. Now, moving back on to Donald Trump, this man is a savage racist who has an administration full of savage ignorant white people pulling these these kind of savage policy plans jasmine i have been pissed off since at least last year december about this whole thing and i was yelling at friends and family to vote for hillary after she beat bernie in the primaries so that we wouldn't have to deal with this and now that this has happened i can't I, I have a very hard time controlling my anger how have you been dealing with this how do you not want to just yell at every white person you see because i had to stop myself from doing that Saudis, the regular citizens, for what some of the decisions that are happening in the country. You know, the rulers don't don't confuse the rulers with the citizens. Um, not all white people have done wrong, bad things. Not all brown people. Not all you know Middle Eastern people. Although, uh, according to U.S. Census, we're all white. Um, it's 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 really important to to kind of have conversations. 
Um, another thing that we could do locally is the Museum of Modern Art actually put up an exhibition on Thursday, just a few days ago. Um, they took out Picasso and like really huge artists, and they put in artwork from citizens, refugees of the, the seven banned countries. So that so that is amazing, Jasmine. But bef- before you continue with that, I, I really want to find out like how have you been dealing with this? Because, like I said before, I can't control my anger. I'm yelling at everyone. <laughs> how, like, how are you, how are you coping? Um, it, it's it's difficult, but I, I consider myself to be, you know, a calm person um, for the most part. And uh, you just need to surround yourself by people who really take care and listen to listen to you. Um, a lot of the Saudi voices, a lot of the Arab voices, a lot of the immigrant voices uh, who come from other countries are afraid to speak out. Um, there are people who went to the Women's March um, who are from these countries, but a lot of, there, there were some warnings. You know, if you have, like, you know, a green card or, you know, you don't, you're not a citizen, try not to go to those protests because if you get arrested, a lot of things could happen. So a lot of times people from those countries that are affected are not participating physically in those marches and, and protests because they have a lot to lose. They really do, and it's a real risk, and so... It's it's really been uh, amazing to see the outpouring of support from people who are white or from other places who don't even have any kind of ties to the Muslim world, um, who are going with their babies and their carriages, you know, and just really trying to the support. The heck with trying all weekend long. It's been so good to, to see so many people really care. If anything comes from this, is that we're having these conversations. Um, a lot of our voices... I, and I'm, I, I have to admit, I really couldn't get myself to go, even as a reporter, and go and, and, and talk to people. I was just watching from Twitter, and I was retweeting obsessively because I couldn't physically get myself to go there. Um, there's, a, there's a legitimate fear that people have when they come from places other than the U.S. No, definitely. I mean, especially as a lawyer, um, a big uh, thing that was going around last week was um, an article that was being sent to a lot of different attorneys about making sure to protect their clients' rights in terms of their immigration status. So I think those points that you made are really good. Um, it also, in terms of what you said about the outpouring of people that have come out against this ban, um, that have protested it from the very beginning when people went to the airports, even to, uh, you know, the bodega strike that happened this week and many other protests that are going on. And some of them going on in places that you wouldn't expect. In fact, somebody tweeted out the other day a picture of a huge protest that was going on in Nebraska and said, uh, and, and sarcastically said, look, it's the coastal elite, you know, which obviously it wasn't. I also want to say I'm, I'm really proud of people in my own profession. A lot of lawyers have showed up at the airports, donated their time, um, their energy, and for free to file these petitions um, to advocate on behalf of these people that are getting jammed up at the airport, and it's been really great to see that that. Um, at the same time, obviously, my personal feelings is like uh, something like this is extremely upsetting to me as somebody who's a Jewish person. I mean, obviously, I'm not Muslim, but as a Jew, this upsets me. And the reason why it upsets me is because there's so many parallels between this and between the types of things that the Jewish people went through during the 1930s, during the Holocaust. I mean, um, essentially, to, to make a, an analogy is that back during the 30s, um, 
instead of it being Muslims that were being disparaged and saying, oh, they're terrorists, they're this, they're that, it was Jews that were, those things were being said about, oh, you can't trust them, um, oh, you know, you can't let them in your country, they may harm your people, they may do this. And so uh, it's very notoriously known that during the 1930s, it was very, very difficult for Jewish refugees to get accepted into the United States. In fact, there's a really great article in the New York Times from last year by Nicholas Kristof that says Anne Frank today, I'm uh, sorry, a Syrian girl is Anne Frank. Um, uh, basically to say that Aunt, the reason why Anne Frank's family could not get into the United States, even though her father, um, Otto Frank, had applied multiple times to get her, their family there, was because people were scared to accept refugees, specifically Jewish refugees. And that's the same thing that we're seeing today. So I feel so much connection between what is going on today, and it gets me so aggravated, and it makes me want to go out there and advocate so much more for, you know, against these, what I think are unconstitutional policies, and and just morally wrong policies, especially considering the most important thing that our guest said. These refugees are people that are trying to escape war. They're trying to escape poverty. They're trying to, conscape, to literally to escape hell and the most awful conditions that you've ever lived for and to try and make better lives for themselves. In fact, one of the girls that was trying to get in as a refugee was literally a three-year-old infant that needed heart surgery that was coming with her family from Iraq to have life-saving surgery. So at the same time, these people on the right, you cannot call Call yourself pro-life if you're going to ban a three-month-old girl from getting heart surgery simply because her family comes to, from Iraq. Jasmine. And you bring up a really excellent point. Um, people are afraid of these refugees and immigrants. But this is exactly why we have social media and other ways to communicate. Talk to people. We shouldn't be afraid of them. If you don't understand, quote-unquote, where these people come from or what they're about, talk to them. Have a conversation. We have... Every single tool, you know, a lot of these people speak English. A lot of these people have translators if they don't speak it fluently. Um, there are ways to communicate. You have no excuse to say, oh, that person, we, we, we have to stay away from them because we don't know what they're about. Actually have a conversation. And a lot of these people, like Trump included, his parents and grandparents didn't necessarily come from the U.S. A lot of these people would be considered immigrants themselves. So it's just baffling to me that they're so against other people coming in and having the American dream, just like they did, and just like their parents did, and just like their grandparents did. Um, they just seem like they've forgotten where they came from. And history is, is unfolding right now. Um, a lot of people are saying, well, if I, you know, a history class when you were, you were a kid and you, you would listen to what's going on in the Holocaust and everything else, you'd say, oh, if I were alive at that time, I would have done this or that. Well, now you're alive. Uh, hopefully, and you're able to do things. So use the tools at your disposal. If you're a lawyer, go and help you know those who don't have a voice. With, with you know, figure out what their rights are. If you're a writer, write. If you are just a person with a platform, retweet. Um, Facebook, you know, whatever. Just use whatever tools at, are, that are at your disposal. Another thing is, I'd love to give a shout out to Sarah Harvard. Um, she's been doing amazing work um, on this. Uh, go to her um, kind of page on Mike.com. A lot of other people have been stepping up. Uh, we're giving the Muslim voice some kind of kind of. Sorry, it looks like some noise. Can you hear me? Yes, yeah, we can hear you. Giving okay. it a platform. Uh, sorry. Giving it a platform. Yes. So read those pieces, share them. If you have criticism, if you have comments, if you have whatever, use whatever you've got. Definitely. Uh, Jasmine, how can people read what you're writing about this and uh, your thoughts, and how can they follow you on Twitter? 
Um, actually, uh, I have a piece coming out tomorrow, hopefully, um, about the whole ISIS thing. Um, I spoke to an ISIS expert, so um, kind of giving a preview of that. Um, uh, yeah, go to my Twitter. Uh, my handle is Jasmine Bagger. It's, it's really easy. Uh, B-A-G-E-R is my last name, and Jasmine just like, uh, I guess, the Disney princess. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I would love to, to hear from everyone. My email address is in my Twitter bio because I don't want anyone to have an excuse and say, oh, I couldn't reach any Saudi, I couldn't reach any Muslim person to ask questions about anything. A lot of us are willing to speak. We want to have conversations, but we grew up in an environment where we weren't used to just going out there and putting ourselves in the spotlight. So sometimes we're a little bit more um, cautious and we're a little bit more um, conservative with our kind of, with just being, you know, outspoken about certain things especially something like this well we definitely appreciate you for coming on the show and being very vocal and outspoken on this issue through your uh, writings as well as uh, the time you shared with us today again we thank you jasmine bagger cruz for joining us here on the show now before we wrap up this conversation i just want to point out that demonizing immigrants is something that this country has been doing and has been doing very well unfortunately for decades, ever since the Immigration Act of 1924, this is the time where we deemed the, another type of immigrants. They weren't Muslim, but they were Asians. They were from, um, I think, like Northern Eastern Europe. They were a different type of people. They were from Italy, but we we saw them as criminals, as somebody who's going to come and take our jobs. And even what Alyssa pointed out, we did the same thing during the Holocaust. The Holocaust, when millions of Jewish people were being killed, we we had an attitude of, okay, it's better them than us, and we're not going to let them in. When are we going to wake up and learn? At this point, it's just, it's just sickening that history is repeating itself so blatantly. We did this before. We have, we've been doing it, and it's time to stop. We cannot demonize other people because of the acts of what point zero 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 one percent There are over, what, 33 million Muslims in this world and 9-11 happened because of nine people who weren't even Muslim they were radical because if they identified or practiced Muslim teachings they would have never even done that and the last thing I want to say the fact even besides the fact that detaining people handcuffing them taking them away from their parents their caretakers their jobs their health care besides the fact that that's not that's wrong it's also not normal it's not normal that Donald Trump as our president is doing this. And for any person of color who happens to be black and who happens to somehow identify with Donald Trump's irrational thinking on this issue, think of it and look at it this way. Have you ever been profiled while shopping? Have you ever been pulled over while driving because you were black? I have. And you know how it makes me feel horrible. And you know how people, how racists justify that? They say, well, you know, the last person I stole from my store was black. Or statistics show black people commit the most crimes in the, in the country. And that's the reason why they are incarcerated to this degree. No, it's wrong. Black people, we know this. We feel this. And it makes it even more wrong when we do it to other people of color. On that note, we do have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're jumping right into the news roundup right here and Let Your Voice Be Heard. Don't go anywhere. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. 
dark street at that got a flashlight Nike swoosh on bare feet with me used to scrag pipe the greatest love of all watch me rise to watch before contemplating rent is late and houses that I can't afford show my papes at Hickman's gates they ask me for my fees that was called Burundi Warpaint from Saul Williams and this song is lit <sighs> Really still There's one part of the song He goes F your institution No He says F your history lessons It's I never been a victim And he's talking to a white lady It's so good no, I'm, I love I like Saul Williams I appreciate his work mm-hmm. I just rather Beyonce and Nicki Minaj To be here Black Bobbies yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hater, guys. Honestly So anyways some bad and bougie Honestly You're bad and bougie we Thank you I appreciate that On Let Your Voice Be Heard On 90.3 FM WHCR The Voice of Harlem With Selena and Alyssa Actually Alyssa is white and bougie And <laughs> 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 white white mixy she got that spice <laughs> girl oh my god and if you just tuned in we finished the conversation with jasmine baggard talking about the muslim ban donald trump banning seven specific muslim countries none of them are countries in which the terrorists from the 9-11 attacks came from but hey who was counting those things and now we are up to the news roundup where we talk about your favorite stories things that made you laugh things that made you cry things that made you curse things that made you make a donald trump moratorium on your facebook page for 24 hours that's what we're doing. And if you want to participate, give us a call at 212-650-6903. How many times do I got to tell you that because I'm Jewish, that makes me sort of brown? <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you have to explain it, Alyssa. I mean, it, it's, it's not like, really something that needs my an explanation. My so am I. That, re- that really needs more of a common sense explanation than the, the religion started in the Middle East, right? In the area that is currently being disputed over. Yes. Um, in terms Jesus of is brown and so is Alyssa. Israeli, Palestinian. <laughs> conflict but that's another story for another show on another day um so you know to connect my news story back to our last segment there today's the super bowl as you know if you live on the planet earth um but you know if you're a space alien you might not know that uh and so one of the ads that is potentially going to run today or is going to run today is a budweiser ad and it was not meant according to budweiser to speak directly to the muslim ban or to what's going on with donald trump but essentially opens up with an Irishman getting off of the boat, Mm -hmm. coming over from Europe and being told, we don't like your kind here. We don't want your kind here. You can't get a job here. Um, And Budweiser has said that their aim in that was to show that, like, we're all human and that we're all immigrants or that we, for the most part, unless you're Native American, that you are come from an immigrant and that we should all treat other human beings with respect. And they said it wasn't really aimed specifically at Donald Trump. But, of course... You know, like with anything, when something like this happens, the right is already saying that they are now going to boycott Budweiser, Um, which makes me ask the question, what cheap, crappy beer are they going to now drink then? Coors Light. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Forgot about that. Listen, there's, there's more than one type of dirty water. Coors Light, Budweiser, Bush Light, there's PBRs, Keystone. I'm, I'm, I am a connoisseur of trashy beers, guys. But <laughs> we spe- see that. Yes, but speaking of Donald Trump, it's time for We're another episode. Speaking epi- of trashy people. Yeah, speaking of trashy people, thank you. It's time for another episode of Give Donald Trump a Chance. And in this week, guess what the yellow man did? What? He, A, threatened to go to send troops to Mexico, and then B, yelled at the Australian prime minister, and then hung up on him. This is real. On the phone with the Mexican 
prime minister, he said, you have a bunch of bad hombres over there, and you don't want to do anything about it, and if you don't, I can send over troops right now. Don't what? forget he spent half a day spe- uh, tweeting about Arnold Schwarzenegger's ratings oh, yeah. on The Apprentice, because apparently our president has nothing else better to do than act like a 10-year-old on Twitter. But Arnold Schwarzenegger's clapback was epic. He was like, well, you know what? If I'm doing such a bad job on The Apprentice, why don't we switch jobs? I think the whole world will like it better like that. Mm-hmm. And I, to that, I say yes. But the thing on Give Donald Trump a Chance that really got me was the fact that he just made a complete mockery out of Black History Month. So, like, he started off Black History Month, right, at the White House February 1st, last Wednesday, and he decided to do a speech, but I don't know what was in his head. I, I don't know. There's so nothing somehow, in his head. Right. There's nothing in his head. Somehow he alluded that Frederick Douglass is still alive and is getting more and more recognition. And then he also used this breakfast as a platform to pa- to parade his, as Stanley would call them, token Negroes. Then he bashed CNN and then he praised Fox News. He made the whole thing about himself and this image of Frederick Douglass, who he seems to believe is still alive. Wait, and to add insult to injury, after all of that happened, Mike Pence went on to Twitter and tweeted, not praising any black person for Black History Month, but instead tweeted about um, sorry, Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln freeing the slaves. So. White people, white people, listen, you're not white, so just ignore this. White people, you need to go get your mans in them, because you don't want me to say something to Trump and Pence. When trash Pence with his... I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to attack anyone personally. When Mike Pence uses Black History Month to congratulate a white man, it is just a blatant disrespect to people of color and African Americans. And it shows you the lack of respect that they have for black people. Even if Donald Trump is sitting in a room full of Uncle Toms, it does not equate to respect. No, and on top of that, I mean, so Mike Pence in the tweet, he was also thanking uh, Abraham Lincoln for passing the 13th Amendment. Which didn't uh, happen. And so, so the thing is about the 13th Amendment, if you know anything about the 13th Amendment, this is actually what helped uh, legalize a prison slavery and it has led to the mass incarceration of black and brown people so after the slaves were free what they started doing is locking us up in droves and then using us to produce products for no to, to, for either very minimum wages or no wages so at all thing. yeah so it's it's like why first of all to, to even think that it was okay to praise a white man but then to add in the 13th amendment it's like I, they have they're so disconnected from American history. This is what mediocre white people do, and he is giving hope to all sorts of garbage mediocre white people across the country that voted for him. Well, you know, speaking of, um, you know, like the media, well, mediocrity, but also speaking of money and people being conned, I mean, he ran on this platform of, like, draining the swamp and, you know, the the banks have too much power and I'm going to help you out, the little guy. Well, apparently this week he is saying that the reason he's doing, he's cutting the Wall Street reform is because his friends need money. My rich friends need money, so screw all of you peons that, you know, voted for me that I don't really care about because, you know, my friends need money. Yeah, he signed an executive order to um, kill pieces of the Dodd-Frank Act, the bill that um, was signed after the big um, government bailout of all the banks when they almost destroyed the world. But let's move <laughs> away from Donald Trump and the mediocre white people of the White House, and let's talk about the mediocre white people in Congress and Senate. Here's a couple of things that the Republican-run Congress and Senate have done in the last week. 
one, they have waived the rule that required oil companies to show who they were getting money from from foreign countries. B, they they waived the rule that made it illegal for coal companies to pump their garbage into rivers and lakes. And then three, they waived the rule that banned people with severe mental disabilities from buying guns. And guys, hold on, because we're hogging up the talk space right now. If you want to call in because you're confused or you have some news, give us a call. Number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. We're also taking messages from Facebook Live, so make sure you get us on there. Or the Politically Preposterous. And I did pause because I knew Alyssa and Selena would be at a loss for words for that last one in particular because it just doesn't make any sense but this is the world that we're living in right now i mean the only thing that i can say is it's time to resist and if you haven't you know ever protested if you still haven't called your congressman your senator your uh representative if you haven't tried to run for office yourself or at least encourage somebody else by giving a donation or, or, or campaign or volunteering to campaign for someone the time is now i mean we've gotten to the point where it's it, it, we're losing control democracy is no longer um something that is valued and we have a a dictator-like person running the show as well as Congress and all of these things that are happening are going to affect us and hurt us long term. So we definitely need to make sure that we join this resist movement. I mean, we're happy that you listen to the show, but what are you doing next? It takes much more and we have to make sure that we do not lose hope and we realize that 2018 is next year and guess what? All of those crazy senators and Congress people and representatives who are voting and supporting Trump as well as his uh, nominees they will be voted out, and it's up for to you and I to make sure that that happens. Now, on a positive note, I did want to bring up some good news. So, on February 1st, Beyonce announced, she actually, she stopped the world, which she usually does. She stopped the world to announce that she is having twins. I know it's been a long time coming. We've all been waiting. Well, if you've been in the beehive of the agency, you've probably been wait, anxiously waiting for Beyonce to, you know, have more. We, I mean, the more little Beyonce's and Jay-Z's we have in the world, the better the world is, obviously. So she announced that she is having twins. Alyssa, what was your reaction to... Beyonce having kids. I mean, I was surprised that the the photos that she put out, I was as surprised as all the rest of you. I was actually at work, and I actually got the text from you letting me know. (laughs) And walked away. Really? I gave you babies and a photo spread. Oh, I'm sorry. Is my mic on? Beyonce is pregnant. (laughs) With two type of J's And that photo shoot Made me feel so great <laughs> At least you're on tune Alright, th- <laughs> thank you for sharing your reaction um, Stanley, uh, Alyssa Well, Alyssa shared hers Did you share your reaction? Did you start singing? I would like to share my reaction about Jigga Man going two for two Actually, three for three Because Beyonce is pregnant with twins And I want to say, there's one loser in all of this Blue Ivy Carter. Her inheritance was superhead. <laughs> oh, don't do that! You might get Beyonce just in the goons out. But um, no, no. But, I mean, Superhead's a loser in all this. Well, of course, she was always a loser in this. <laughs> but um, 
the Wi-Fi card is inheritance goes down from one one billion to now thirty three hundred thirty three million. Oh my God, I feel that. so terrible. I know. No, the memes were hilarious though. They were definitely making a, a lot of fun of the fact that yes, Blue will not be in, inheriting all one billion dollars. But anyway, so moving on, something that also appears to be somewhat good news. Well, before I can show you that, did you guys happen to see SNL last night? I did. Melissa McCarthy, she debuted as an explosively violent uh, Sean Spicer, who is actually the White House press press, uh, uh, secretary, and she did phenomenal. Like, she came up there, she was angry, she was badgering the press, she was yelling at them, she had the guy from CNN in a cage, and I was just like, this would be so fun. Well, it is really, really funny, but then I was like, uh, you know what? This is, like, actually pretty accurate. Then she also, like, told a lot of lies while she was up there. And I was like, that's exactly what Sean Spicer does. Well, so, you know, the funny thing about that is twofold. Number one is, actually, earlier in the week, The Onion tweeted out an article about how Sean Spicer was providing, his job was to provide everybody with misinformation. And Spicer actually retweeted it and said, exactly. Stop Um, it. So, apparently, this point about The Onion making fun of him was missed. But I actually think the funnier story this week was when Kellyanne Conaway went on MSNBC and talked about a non-existent massacre that never actually happened. So you might have heard about this, the Bowling Green Massacre, um, which was a thing that didn't actually happen. It was really fake news. It did happen, Alyssa, Um, in someone's mind. I actually checked in safe. And so uh, because of this, everybody has now been making fun of Kellyanne Conaway on Twitter for the past three days. And somebody actually started a website, Donate to the Victims of the Bowling Green Massacre Fund. But if you go there, it actually redirects you to the ACLU. Nice. I love it. We actually have a caller on the line who would like to let their voice be heard. Frank, go ahead. Yes, hello. Uh, This is Frank Anderson. Listen, what I want to say about Donald Trump is God said to me, that this should this president should never taken place. He showed me that if it could be stopped, to stop it. And if it couldn't be stopped, he said to tell Mr. Trump that he want him to flee the black man. And that's all he said. But he want me to tell him that, give him that message. Thank you very much, Frank, for telling us what the guy told you and what you will tell Trump. Um, do you guys have any comments? Um, I, I really don't feel free. So I agree to that, that, you know, it's, I think it's time to fight for our freedom. And like I mentioned before, it's time to resist. I just don't think Donald Trump and his, um, aide, Steve Bannon, who looks like he washes his face in old chicken grease, had the power to free black people. (laughs) I think black people have the power to free black people. And I'd very much like for them to go to another planet and stay there. No, seriously? Yeah, Steve Bannon. No, no, no. The second part. What, that he washes? No, 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 no. Why do you think we can be free? Like, white people can't free you. Black people, you free yourself. Flip this institution over and take over it. That's how. So it sounds like you're calling for a revolution. I'm not calling for a revolution. Listen, do you know how much white people train? White people have rooms full of guns and they go out and practice shooting. They're waiting for a race war. Oh. I'm about to turn the other cheek and just hope they die out. (laughs) To be fair, there are several black gun groups in Texas that have been doing the exact same thing in preparation for... Seven black gun groups. Millions of white gun groups. <laughs> These white people have whole camps where they just run through obstacle courses and they say they do it in the name of Jesus. I'm not really looking for those kind of problems. I didn't know that. 
I mean, news to me. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that news. Um, also, I wanted to mention before we go to another break. So it looks like two Republicans will vote and stand against the nomination of Betsy DeVos. Uh, as we know, she has been nominated for Secretary of Education. Apparently, she does not know anything about education or school, but she does think that somehow it would be a good idea for all schools to have a supply their teachers with guns just in case grizzly bears try to attack the children so if these if republican senators i think it was a uh, susan um oh goodness susan collins yeah from susan collins for maine and then it was another woman another woman uh female uh, republican senator it's, uh from the senator from alaska right his name is escaping me at the moment mine is escaping me as well but they said that they will not vote for her they still need one more though with another her. republican they need one more republican otherwise the nomination is going to go through because right now there's no democrats that are going to vote for her uh so without the democrats that still puts them in a situation Without the Democrats and without these two Republicans, that essentially would still make it a tie. And if it's a tie, the tie gets broken by Mike Pence, who's going to vote in favor of her. So right now, in order to avoid that, they still need to convince one more Republican not to vote for her. Well, a lot of parents, particularly uh, white parents, have been putting a lot of pressure on these senators to not vote for her. And they've been saying, I mean, I've saw it on Twitter. They started a whole campaign just against Betsy DeVos. Because she's stupid. It's like objectively clear that she's stupid and knows nothing about public education. Why? she's even being up, brought up for this, I don't understand. Well, I do, because white people can be below average and still excel because other white people will prop them up, but she shouldn't be here. But you can make that argument about all of the nominees, and well, most of them are passing. 99% of them are white, and then you have Ben Carson, the Uncle Tom. No, but how is it, but why is it, I mean, I understand the backlash against Bessie DeVos, and, but if we actually stop her from being nominated, we I applaud that, but why is it that everybody else is just passing? Because well, Democrats I mean, didn't have a backbone, and now we've put some more pressure on them, so they realize it's get down a lay down and they're getting down and not and not voting for anyone now well, I mean, there's also certain, the difference is that in some cases, like I said, and I'm not saying I agree with this, but like in some cases, these candidates, even though we don't like their policies, we don't like their positions and we don't like their politics, they actually have some qualifications, right? Like Versus who? like, I hate, I don't like Jeff Sessions, right? Mm-hmm. At all. I don't think he should be the attorney general for multiple reasons, starting with the fact I think he's racist. That said. That should be disqualifier right that there. That should be disqualifier. That, uh, right. But that said, in terms of quali- qualifications of him being a lawyer and having been a lawyer for a long time and having worked as a Department of Justice attorney for a long time and understanding how government works, how the Justice Department works, in that way, he is qualified. Now, I don't think he's qualified because of his politics and his policies, but I think in terms of his work experience, he actually is qualified to hold the job despite the fact that I disagree with him on his policy. I like maybe I'm no, I hope I'm No, you're being 100% right. clear. And I want to make sure that you guys understand that Alyssa is not saying that she agrees with Jeff Sessions' appointment or ignore the, is she ignoring the fact that he's a racist piece of trash? Because Jeff Sessions should be disqualified like he was in the 80s because he is a racist KKK loving piece of trash. So all those other qualifications do not matter to me. I don't care if you ran a 25k and we need somebody who's going to run the marathon running organization. If your favorite past thing to do in your in your downtime is to shoot people in the legs while they're running marathons, I don't need you running that organization. So that that's what you have. You have a mixture of people who are racist, are stupid, or are corrupt, but they're being pushed through because they also have some job experience. Right, and when I'm, I'm just trying to draw the contrast of that. Like a person like Jeff Sessions, who we think he's unqualified it's, for reasons not having to do with his I, job I, experience, versus Betsy DeVos, that actually has no experience. I appreciate you trying to draw a contrast. You can't, because he should be disqualified off-rip because he's racist. 
That, like that's that's the end of it. So we may have to agree to disagree there. No, I, think I think we, we agree. agree. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but no, Alyssa started that conversation by saying he is qualified, and you started your argument saying no, he's I said not he's qualified. qualified in terms of his work experience. There are other things that disqualify him. Oh. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, that just confused it even more. Okay, but we do have to go on a break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back talking about SCOTUS, the SCOTUS pick, right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. We are streaming right now on Facebook Live. Leave a comment there and we will get back to you probably in two hours because we won't see the comment. Just kidding. We're looking at it right now. So anyways, after taking that quick break, I am pumped up because I had a full 24-hour moratorium on any news on Donald Trump. When did I do it? Tuesday. And you couldn't even do it for the whole day. All right, hold on. In my defense, so what happened was I put up a status around 12 o'clock at night and I said, guys, hold me accountable. I don't want to tweet or share anything about Donald Trump and you're being on my page for a full right day. Here. And then I said, if I do it, please report the page. And as soon as I press publish on that Facebook post, you know what popped up in my timeline? Donald Trump threatens Mexico to go to war. How, <laughs> how, like, come on. <laughs> you, you did it to yourself, Stanley. You set yourself up for that. No, but come like, you, it has, no. You it, did. It's, that's not even fair. Like, how can one man be so irrational? And you know what? I took that moratorium and I felt a lot better. But I remember I woke up the next day and news of his Supreme Court pick had hit because he had rolled that pick out Tuesday night. Now, let me tell you the magical story of how Donald Trump did this. First of all, there was a Twitter account called Rogue POTUS Staff, and they have been tweeting consistently about things going on in the White House, including Rance Priebus trying to quit twice. And Paul Ryan had having to talk him out of it about how they had to remind Donald Trump that having his kids at the front row of events does not help with the whole conflict of interest thing. And they've also been talking about the Supreme Court pick. And they called Gorsuch as a Supreme Court pick at 2 o'clock earlier that afternoon. And I was just waiting for it to be confirmed. Donald Trump must have realized this and realized that the media had been talking about the pick already. So what he tried to do was get his second consideration for the pick to drive towards the White House as he was making the announcement to build up the, the excitement around it and to add more drama. He was literally trying to make the Supreme Court pick as if it was a reality show. Fortunately, that is not what happened. And he picked Gorsuch. Gorsuch, who was appointed by Bush to be on the um, 10th Circuit Court. Gorsuch, who wrote an entire book on the right to suicide. And he doesn't believe you have a right to assist suicide or the right to die because we should value all lives. And Gorsuch, who may be become the next Supreme Court Justice of the United States. Now, Gorsuch hits all the keys that conservatives and Republicans want. He hates women. He doesn't believe that you have a right to... He, he, he loves, he, he believes that the government can tell you what you can and can't do with your body in relation to having abortions or assisted suicides. And also, he has never seen an Obamacare law that he has liked. But, Democrats have a say in this as well. And they can vote on this. And Democrats are promising, or at least most of them, are promising to filibuster this the entire way. They will go as long as two, four years, they're saying now, to stop him from coming in because they believe that this Supreme Court pick was stolen from Barack Obama and that Merrick Garland should be the actual pick. So in this conversation we're going to have right now, we're going to give you some background on Gorsuch. We're going to talk about Trump's reasons for picking him and we're also going to have that debate on what the, whether the Democrats should vote for this justice because some people believe he should. I have a couple of lawyer friends who said he's a good pick 
and some people say he should not. So we're going to have that conversation as well. So just to start off with it, let's just get going on who Neil Gorsuch is. So he's a 49-year-old federal appeals, appeals court judge in the 10th Circuit, which handles most of Western U.S. And he is wide, he's a widely acclaimed critic and a favorite conservative for many Republicans and Libertarians out there. Why? Because even though he has not had any cases that directly dealt with abortion, much of his language and his rhetoric and his public comments had been leaning very hard right on pro-life. And along with that, he worked in the Department of Justice for 10 years with George Bush. He also had a, a, a bit of a, um, a boutique law, um, law firm that he worked with. And then George Bush obviously was the one that appointed him to, to the 10th um, Circuit Court. Gorsuch fits all the requirements that all conservatives need. So he really is fond of Justice Scalia's um, decision practices. He is very fond of the right to life. He has not been too liberal on some of his decisions. And he has a strong religious foundation, but his arguments are usually based through a secular frame. So what that means is he doesn't use religious religion to like to push his arguments for pro-life. And a lot of conservatives feel like by doing that, you kill the argument of saying that this is just nothing but a religious attack on secular people. So that is the justice that Donald Trump has appointed. And that is the person that we're going to be voting on. So Alyssa, I saw your hand raised, so please go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, because there was one thing in that that I really wanted to mention that I feel like you may have skipped over, which is where does he stand on issues of policing? Because these are really, really important issues that we are facing today. And obviously something that's of importance to me as a civil rights attorney who deals with these issues. So in terms of issues of the Fourth Amendment, like a legal search and seizure, um, Scalia actually, and I've mentioned this before, was pretty decent on those issues because Scalia, as you know, is an originalist, a textualist, and he says that the Constitution says what it means and means what it says. And so when the Constitution says in the Fourth Amendment that the police shall not have the right to illegally search and seize you without some kind of suspicion or probable cause or a warrant, he really took that very seriously. And in certain cases, Scalia would actually side with liberal justices um, in that area of law because of the fact he felt so strongly about textualism. In the same vein, um, people expect this nominee to stand in that same place. However, in terms of civil lawsuits, civil rights lawsuits against police departments, um, there's actually a really awful qualified immunity decision from this judge that has come out where essentially a man in Louisiana was tased to death by the police department. And this judge actually ruled in favor of the police officers and basically said... Uh, you know, it was. it's a sad thing that this man died, but the police officers didn't do anything wrong. He also notoriously hates class action lawsuits, mm -hmm. and one of the ways that we get change in, the, in terms of civil rights litigation, and we saw that, um, obviously, you heard about the news a few weeks ago about my office's class action settling against the city of New York for a really good amount of money, but one of the vehicles that we use to get changes in terms of policing is through class action lawsuits, and, and so when you have a judge that is notoriously known for not liking class action lawsuits and not liking them used to, as a vehicle to try and propel civil rights issues, that is obviously a major concern. And I just wanted to point those two things out because uh, you, you had skipped over them. And they're really important for our conversations because we talk about Black Lives Matter on this show all the time. And those issues really are going to come into play in terms of these Black Lives Matter type litigations that are going on in court. No, you're absolutely right, Alyssa. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And in the spirit of bringing up things that I forgot to mention earlier, I also wanted to mention that Gorsuch was the president and co-founder of the Fascist Club in his high school. And he was a president for all four years. It was a group that they started because they felt students were getting far too liberal and they wanted to push back on that. And that was something he was very proud of. That was reported by The Independent earlier this week. 
like for me, I think the biggest problem with this judge actually isn't his policy. He has this type of policies that we can expect from a conservative jurist that is appointed by a Republican nominee. And I know I was saying this to you when I was talking to you on the phone on Thursday night, but I think the real bigger issue here that's coming into play, and I don't want to skip us too far ahead, so you know maybe we want to talk about this a little more towards the later on in the segment, but the biggest issue here is what happened with Merrick Garland to me. Because as I was explaining on the phone the other night, which is if, for example, it would have been George, uh, I'm sorry, Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton, and Jeb Bush would have won the election, and it also would have, a, would have been a situation where Merrick Garland would have been confirmed to the Supreme Court. So now, let's just say for a second, Scalia passes away, Merrick Garland is nominated, he gets confirmed, the Republican Party does not block him, he ends up on the Supreme Court, and now another justice either passes away or decides to retire, and Jeb Bush wins the election fair and square, and now he appoints this judge. I would say, well, you know, I hate this guy in terms of policy. I do not like any of the policies he stands for, but elections have consequences. Jeb Bush won the election. Merrick Garland's already on the court. You know, he gets to appoint a conservative justice. And this is somebody who, in terms of being qualified as a judge, you know, this same kind of argument that I made a few minutes ago in terms of, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, The attorney general nominee, Jeff Sessions, right? He has the qualifications to actually do this position, even though I disagree with him on policy terms. The biggest issue for me about this nomination is the fact that this is a stolen Supreme Court seat. This isn't a situation where Jeb Bush won the presidency fair and square, where Merrick Garland was on the court, where a conservative is appointing a judge. I mean, on one hand, you have a partially stolen election, and I don't mean stolen in terms of the actual vote was stolen because of vote hacking, but you had the Russians influencing the election, you have a stolen Supreme Court seat, and that all adds up to a situation where it's like, this judge is not acceptable in the context of what has happened in this election and before it. Yeah, so so my question is, what should Democrats do? Should they do? Should they practice the same tactics that Republicans did to stall Merrick Garland from becoming a Supreme Court nominee? And we see what happened. The court has, the court right now has only eight justices should we do the same thing um i'm not saying i'm for it against it i want to know what you guys think well let's take a step back and talk about what happened so scalia died heart attack or whatever it was heart attack heart attack and there was a vacancy and there was this big debate on democrat side saying that it was obama's chance to appoint somebody who was very liberal and would like secure the supreme court to be left-leaning for at least the next 25 to 30 years republicans in fear of that said that they would not confirm anyone no matter who it was and you know obama should pick somebody who's, who's conservative obama as usual split the difference merrick garland has some liberal leanings but he's also very like moderate really. moderate and really enthusiastic about law enforcement which is something that black lives matter protesters were not happy about so a reasonable pick and a republican party refused to even give him a hearing they refused to do even that even though 90 percent of americans want them to do that now here comes trump somebody who lost a popular vote and he picks his pick trump's approval ratings are in a low are in the mid 30s right now and most americans did not want him as president and he picks this person and this is the space that we're in like is it is it unreasonable for the Democrats to not want to vote for him? No, 
I'm not saying that. Should they obstruct the process yes. for the next two to four years? You say yes. So Stanley says yes. I want to hear what Alyssa says. You know, I uh, I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer to that yet. I, ha- I mean, on one hand, I want to say, yeah, I agree with that. On the other hand, I know the potential drawbacks to doing that. I'm going to come back to that in a half a second because I want to get back to this thing with Merrick Garland for just really quickly, which is that... If Trump really wanted to make a show of good faith in terms of Supreme Court nominees, he he would have re-nominated Merrick Garland to the seat. That would have been a way for him to split the difference, to basically get Democrats to come around to get behind his nominee. He didn't. He picked somebody to fill Justice Scalia's seat. That is essentially Justice Scalia. I will come back and answer your question when we come back from a quick break. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. After much hatred and hatred towards me and my music playlist, I decided to play one Justin Bieber song, then go back to my playlist. What you just heard was T-shirts from Migos. Most of Love it. most of America thinks that um, what's the song from Migos again? Oh, Bad, Bad and Bougie. They think Bad and Bougie is the best song from Migos. No, it's not. That's not even the best song on the album. The best song on the album is hands down Kelly Price. The second best song is the song you just heard right there, T-shirts. Are you going to play Kelly Price? I already played Color Price, but I'll play it again just for you, Selena. Oh, thank you. But guys, we are not here to have a debate about Migos and the best song on our album, even though it is an amazing album, and you should definitely check it out. Nor are we here to talk about Big Sean's album that just came out, which is also an amazing album. (laughs) We're not here to talk about those things. We are here to talk about Donald Trump's Supreme Court pick, Neil Gorsuch. And the debate that we are having on air right now is whether the Democrats should be voting in favor of Gorsuch. And what I mean by that is, as you know, Supreme Court picks must be confirmed. But in this case, Republicans would actually need some Democratic votes to get him confirmed. And some people are saying that they should refuse to do anything the way Republicans did with Merrick Garland. Alyssa made a really good argument earlier, and she closed it off saying that Donald Trump could have showed he was trying to be good with people by splitting the difference and appointing Garland and letting that vote happen. He did not because he's an idiot and a child. And now the conversation continues. Should Democrats fight? And if you guys want to chime into that and specifically answer that question, well, in- we're interested in what you have to say, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio, or you can leave a comment on my Politically Preposterous website. Um, but to get back to this question, because I think it's a really important one, Well, is that... You know, it's a really hard question to answer. On one hand, yeah, I totally agree with you, Stanley. Like, Democrats should absolutely... F- well, well, actually, I should explain this. The reason why they're going to need some Democrats to get this nomination through is because although Democrats got rid of the ability to filibuster the other judicial nominees, there is still a filibuster on the books when it comes to Supreme Court nominees. What that means is, back when Democrats were in power and when Har- Harry Reid was the Senate Majority Leader... The Republican Party was obstructing a lot of uh, Barack Obama's justices, his appointments to district courts, mm-hmm. and re- and Democrats got really, really mad about it. So they said, you know what, um, we're not going to let you filibuster these judges anymore. We're going to get rid of the ability to filibuster in these situations, and it's just going to be an up-down majority vote of 50 votes or more. You know, you have to get more than 50 votes, right? So they got rid of that, but they didn't get rid of it to the Supreme Court. So when it comes to a Supreme Court justice, the filibuster still exists, which means... 
if Democrats choose to filibuster the Supreme Court nominee, in order for there to be an up-down vote, there first has to be what's called a cloture vote. And in order for that to happen, you need to have 60 votes. You need to have, basically have two-thirds of the of the House and Senate. So that's why we're talking about they need some Democrats. Now, to get back to this question, this is a really hard question for me to answer because on one hand, I totally agree with you. I think that Democrats cannot be spineless. They should totally obstruct this. Merrick Garland absolutely should have gotten this seat, and they should do everything in their power to make sure that the Republican Party has to go out of their way to make it difficult for them to get this guy approved. Um, what that may lead to, though, is a situation where the Republicans decide to exercise what's called the nuclear option. And if they exercise this nuclear option, two things are going to happen. Number one, you're no longer going to need 60 votes. It's going to get rid of the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees. So they're going to be able to just do a regular up-down 50, you know, 51 vote, like you were just pointing out. The other thing that's going to happen, though, is that it may come back to bite them in the butt later on, and it may be why Republicans decide they don't want to go this route, because if they go this route and they end up losing um, power at some point down the road, and a Democrat is then in power as president, they may lose their ability to filibuster a Democratic nominee down the road. So they may want to hold off. That said, assuming they do exercise the nuclear option, what's going to happen is not only is this judge going to get a, get confirmed, they're going to preclude the Democrats from being able to filibuster another nominee down the road should another Supreme Court justice die or retire, which means the Democrats are going to lose their ability to block somebody who may end up being worse than the justice that we are looking at now. And just to give you two examples, two of the other nominees that were in the running were a guy named Hardman and a guy named Pryor. I don't know if you know anything about these two guys, but if you think Gorsuch is bad, these guys are like... 10 times worse than Gorsuch ever was. I mean, one of them literally was so bad that he said that gay people should be exterminated. That was the Judge William Pryor, and said that like gay people should essentially be stoned to death, and that we should undo gay marriage, and a, a number of other things that are so far outside of the mainstream that they are so much more extreme from what we're getting from the guy that's appointed now. So what Democrats have to ask themselves is, number one, do we want to filibuster this guy and have them exercise the nuclear option and then lose the ability to filibuster somebody later on? Or do we want to bite the bullet on this guy who's really not as bad as some of the other people that are worse? But if they do that, and I know this is where you're going to chime in, Stanley, and this is where you and I are totally going to agree, they're going to lose the Democratic Party. I mean, the Democratic Party is already a mess. And if they decide to not have a backbone right now and to not obstruct the Republicans, that's going to create a lot more problems for them in getting reelected in 2018. So I'm very torn on what they should do about this. So before we get to Selena, I want to tell you guys what's at stake right now. Roe versus Wade, defensive marriage. Um, pardon me, um, same-sex marriage, probably affirmative action again. That's what's at stake right now. Voting so, rights. Voting rights. Do you think that... Just because, do you think that Gorsuch is not going to vote right if these things come up? Well, I mean, based on his record, I think that he probably would lean right on most of the things, but not necessarily everything. Um, so, and I, but, but it sounds like what you're saying is, it's already a bad situation. Alyssa pointed out how it could be worse, but when it comes to these particular cases, it sounds like he's going to vote against our personal interests, right? So we might as well... Block him anyway. But I think it's the I'm wrong question. The Sorry, but I think it's the wrong question because no matter who he appoints, unless he appoints Merrick Garland, it's going to be the same issue. Exactly. So if we know that, like, no matter who he appoints, it's going to be the same thing. Why even help them get it done faster? I no. Okay. Screw it. So you say block all of them. Block all of them. We you have nothing to gain. This person's going to come in and he's going to vote 
based on party lines as most right-leaning conservative or like any like partisan judge has done for the last 20 years so whether it's gorsuch or satan which you mentioned <laughs> earlier they're all gonna vote to destroy these institutions we fought so hard for it doesn't matter so so why why am I like, like point Stanley play it out this is there's like the play legal aspect Trump. of it there's the legal aspect of it and there's the political aspect of it right if we do if we do what you're saying we should do and I agree I really do think Democrats should just block this nomination on principle because you know that politically will be good for Democrats leading into 2018 yep. but legally speaking it's going to end us back up in the same position no matter what because we're going to end up with this guy on the court when they if they if and when they exercise the new clear option and then potentially we're going to end up with a second conservative justice on the court down the road nonetheless that may be good politically for the democrats but in terms of legal we're still going to end up with the same no matter what happens it's going to happen i'd rather not help it happen faster and let's be very clear about what's happening here you have a racist who has an administration of other racists appointing white people who are either have soft racism in like invertly racist or overtly racist i'm not helping to encourage any of this crap and no democratic representative of mine better do it either because if not they're going to hear very angry constituents well speaking of getting angry were democrats and were people like you as aggressive when it came to fighting for merit guardians do you think democrats dropped the ball no were they fighting as aggressively of course we were no not just you okay i'm talking about democrats okay you aside, were the Democrats yeah. elected? Democrats. Elected officials, were they fighting as hard? Yes, they absolutely were. And, like, they even had public support behind them. And they, Republicans controlled House and Senate. So there wasn't much you can do besides being vocal about it and besides putting pressure. And I, and I think it's fair to say that they did that all the way until the end. Well, I mean, I think that there actually was other things that they could have done. And I also think, and I'll disagree slightly with you here because for the most part, I agree. I think because some people on the left were not happy with Merrick Garland, despite the fact that he was supposed to be sort of a compromised candidate for the reasons you point out because of the issues he had they didn't think he was liberal enough they didn't put enough pressure on their democratic electives to do even more and the one thing i think that democrats may have been able to do which they did not do was i think they might have been able to bring a lawsuit well at least i think merrick garland might have been able to bring a lawsuit because he would have been one of the few people that had standing to argue that they were violating their constitutional duty by not actually holding the hearings. Now, that doesn't mean that Republicans actually had to vote for him when push came to shove. But the Constitution is very clear. It says that the president shall make an appointment and the Senate shall, uh, you know, hold hearings um, and have an up-down vote. And I think if Democrats like you and me and other Democrats would have been happier or would have put more, uh, maybe not even happier, would have put more pressure on their Democratic representatives um, to push Merrick Garland into maybe bringing this kind of lawsuit to argue that the Republicans were not following their duty, then maybe that would have happened. But I think too many people were not willing to push their representatives to do something like that because of the fact that they didn't really like Merrick Garland in the first place. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and looking back from now, we didn't. We also didn't think Donald Trump was going to be elected. Well, he, you're right, but he is That's elected true. now, and he is trying his hardest to destroy the country. So why help him get there faster? Good point. The, well, that, we're going to leave it there. That, yeah, like that's really the point that 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 we we get stuck on because that's that's really the big issue. But now, before we we wrap this segment up, I do want to talk about, and and listen, I'm going to lean on you for this one in particular. I really want to talk about what do you think is going to happen to Roe versus Wade? If it does get repealed, what does that mean for other states? Well, those are two separate questions. So the first part of that, what do I think is going to happen to it? 
you know, I don't know because the right case has to go up to the Supreme Court, right? And lately, a lot of times the Supreme Court has not been taking a lot of abortion cases, and that has to do with the complicated process in which the Supreme Court grants what's called certiorari petitions, which means essentially says they're going to hear the case. So in order for Roe versus Wade to actually get overturned, it would first need to go up to the court to begin with. I think at least right now, even with Gorsuch on the court, you'd still have a 5-4, and I think Kennedy would rule in, with the liberals, um, and so it wouldn't at least right now be overturned. Now, if two conservatives were now on the court, if, say, Kennedy was to retire, or if one of the justices was to die, and now you were to have two Trump nominees, then the it might not be so clear. Then you might have a situation where they took a case, one of these cases about a 20-week ban, a fetal heartbeat ban, and they may actually decide to hear that case, and they may maybe they don't overturn Roe versus Wade all the way, but they put a lot more restrictions on the right to abortion. As for the second part of that uh, question, which is what happens after that, it's going to really go to the states. So in a state like New York, there really would be no changes. New York would essentially let things happen the way they were. But in a lot of other states, like Ohio, for example, you'd see a lot of these very strict abortion laws passing, and that would create a situation where poor people and predominantly poor people of color would have to find funds to travel out of state to obtain an abortion in situations where they may not be able to do that. Um, so I think that's really going to happen. That would really be what happened if Roe versus Wade uh, was overturned. Thank you so much for that listen. So now, guys, I do want to wrap up this segment. I think we've given it as much steam as we possibly can. And I want to close it off with just a bit of a short story for you. Not really a story, but an update. So Arkansas is pushing a bill that if passed, and I think it did actually pass the other day, all abortions will be banned. And if a woman tried to get an abortion, her husband could veto that abortion. Which has already been ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court in Planned Parenthood versus Casey back mm-hmm. in 1992. Well, they may not be here for too much longer, but they, the husband could overrule that abortion even if it was a case of spousal rape. That's that's the situation that we're, that we're literally walking into right now. We're walking into a space where possibly in a couple of years you could rape someone, get them pregnant, they could try to go for an abortion, and you could... You could stop them from getting an abortion and force them to live with that child. It reminds me of a story I heard a couple of weeks ago in which a woman was raped, and then instead of like throwing the man in jail who raped her, they made her marry him. They made a movie like that, too, FYI. Yeah, because that's the reality. And you need to understand something. When people are talking about making abortions illegal and they're saying they're all about the right to life, it's not about the right to life. It's about the right to white power. It's about the, the right to be able to control the bodies of women. Because as we all know, abortions have gone down as more people have gotten access to birth control and also education about health. It's not about the right to life. It's about Power. They want to control women's bodies because when you cannot control a woman's body, when you don't have agency over what choices she makes over her body, you don't have agency over her. And if you look at the people who are so upset about this, it is pretty much a coalition of angry white people and confused white women. That's that's all it is. You sprinkle in the religious people who have their feelings, who have their feelings, and and that's all it is. We're not having honest conversations about these kind of things. So when you have someone like Neil Gorsuch, who might be put in the Supreme Court, he is another white man who does not understand the plight of women, who does not understand the plight of people of color, who wants to sit down and fit a political agenda. And if another ruling for abortion comes in, or another ruling comes in for Voting Rights Act, or who knows? At this point, I wouldn't be surprised if they challenge the Civil Rights Act. What is going to happen is a coalition of 
white people who are either overtly or invertly racist are going to decide to make things as white as possible for them because they don't want women to have agency over their power. They believe that white people are being discriminated against more than than, than black people and they want to take over. And that's why we should not be confirming Gorsuch or anyone like him. But other than that, guys, I really got nothing else to say. I'm disgusted with this whole process. I want to cheer myself up. So here comes some Kelly Price. And we are back. So my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I am your legal expert slash uh, lawyer here on the show. And I'm here to give you a little breakdown of the leaked religious freedom order, uh, which has been circulating around the White House, but has not yet been issued. Um, So before I do that, I want to give you a little background on this. Imagine you are a same-sex couple, and you decide that you want to get uh, married, and you decide that you want to get a wedding cake from a certain bakery. And so you go down to this bakery with your significant other, um, and I call them your significant other because you're not yet married, and you attempt to order this cake and when you attempt to order this cake uh, the baker says no I don't believe in same-sex marriages I'm not gonna bake that cake for you so what do you do well you would probably sue them for discriminating against you um, and you could pro- you could bring that lawsuit against them and you could essentially say that they do not have the right to discriminate against you and to not bake that cake because of their religious um, leanings. And this obviously goes back to 1964 and the Civil Rights Act. And this really comes to be in terms of people used to use religion as a way to justify not having to serve black people at the lunch counter and having segregated water fountains and schools and buses and all those other things. And so that's why we have these kind of anti-discrimination laws to begin with. So as I said, um, at the beginning, earlier this week, the Nation magazine published a leaked draft of the Religious Freedom Order, which has been circulating around the White House, but has not actually been issued yet. When I first saw this order, my initial feelings as an LGBT person was that I was just disgusted because I knew without even having to read the substance of it, it was probably going to essentially legalize uh, discrimination against gay people like I just pointed out at the beginning when I gave the example about the cake. So, A White House official has actually come out and told ABC News that they did not dispute the authenticity of this draft order, um, but that it was one of hundreds circulating around, some that were drafted by the transition team, some that were drafted by the White House, and that it was not a final draft. Nonetheless, the order revealed sweeping plans to legalize discrimination against women and against LGBTQ people by creating exemptions for people and organizations who claim religious or moral objections to same-sex marriage, premarital sex, abortion, trans identity, and a whole host of other things. I also said at the very beginning of the show, I do find it interesting because the way this order is written, it would actually not just apply to Christians, but it would apply to all people. And so on one hand, you have the government issuing orders saying that we're banning certain people based on their religion, but on the other hand, they're issuing orders saying religious freedom. Everybody should be able to discriminate against other people based on their religion, and those two things don't seem to go together. And so it's going to be interesting how those two things end up impacting each other as we move forward, um, because they seem to be contradictory. Nonetheless, the order is entitled The Establishing a Government-Wide Initiative to Respect Religious Freedom, and it defines religious organizations as, quote, any organization including a closely held for-profit company, which goes back to the small business, I don't want to bake you a cake example that I mentioned at the beginning. Its stated aim is to, quote, unquote, 
uh, protect religious freedom in every walk of life, including when providing social services, education, or health care, earning a living, seeking a job, or employing others, receiving government grants or contracts, or otherwise participating in the marketplace, the public square, or interfacing with federal, state, or local government, which is essentially to say it is so broad that somebody can say, oh, um, you're a veteran, you come to the VA, you want to get birth control? Well, I don't agree with premarital sex, so because my religion doesn't agree with that, even though I work for the government and I work at the VA, I don't want to give you birth control. Or it could be the cake example. Or it could it be a whole host of other examples of somebody literally saying, well, you know, I don't agree with that thing that you want me to do because of your my religious values, and so therefore it doesn't matter that I work for the government or that I own this private business. I just don't have to do that for you because, you know, my my religion says that I don't. In addition, the order further seeks to curtail women's access to contraception and abortion through the Affordable Care Act. And this is really scary um, because Section 4 of the order, which is called Specific Agency Responsibilities, would actually require the Health and Human Services Organization to issue a rule that would exempt any person or organization with a religious objection from complying with the ACA's preventative care mandate, which includes contraceptive coverage. Right now, it requires HHS to ensure that anyone who's purchasing insurance on a healthcare exchange have the option of purchasing a plan that that either covers abortions or subsidizes birth control or one that does not. This essentially would make it so they could make it so that you do not have to do that. Um, and so the health insurance companies could literally say, we're not going to cover birth control, which they are not allowed to do now. Um, and it would bar HHS from taking adverse action against federally funded child welfare organizations, including those that offer adoption, foster, or family services that deny those services due to conflict uh, with religious beliefs, which is essentially to say... If they don't want to tell you about abortion, it doesn't matter that they get federal funds. They don't have to do that. They can tell you whatever they want. The language in the document is so broad that it would also protect the tax-exempt status of any organization that believes, speaks, or acts, or declines to act in accordance with one's beliefs based on the fact that marriage is defined as the union between a man or a woman, that sexual relations are defined as reserved for marriage, or that an individual's biological sex is determined by their anatomy and their birth certificate not by their identity. That sounds like white Sharia law. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, there's a lot about this order um, that it is sweepingly broad. It risks violating the Constitution because these exemptions raise serious constitutional questions about the First Amendment. This is because these potential exemptions go far beyond what the Supreme Court has said is permissible in terms of um, exemptions. And although the White House has announced that it would continue President Obama's executive order protecting federal contractors from anti-LGBT discrimination. I, you can see I'm getting super excited about this. The draft order clearly goes against that notion. In closing, this goes back to something I was talking about last week, which is, you know what? You know, it goes back to that quote. First they came for this group. I wasn't the part Muslims. of this group. You know, first they came for the Muslim. I wasn't Muslim. First they came for this group. I wasn't in that group. Now they're coming from LGBT people. I am in that group. And guess what? You may think that they're not coming for your group next, but you're going to be next. And so you better start standing up for the Muslims. You better start standing up for LGBT people. You better start standing up for other minorities because when you don't, you're going to realize you're the next person they're coming from and there's going to be nobody to stand up for you. 
Thank you. That's absolutely right. Thank you so much, Alyssa. It's true, guys. I mean, there's even some talk that he's trying to take the KKK off the terrorist list. So it, it's all of us. And it, it shouldn't take you being personally affected to fight for another person. Like, honestly. But enough about that guys we want to thank everyone who listened to our show today if you want to listen to it again or share it you should definitely subscribe to us via itunes at let your voice be heard radio you can also follow us on social media at be heard underscore radio facebook let your voice be heard thank you so much for joining us guys enjoy the rest of your sunday and we'll be back next sunday god bless peace